Hi there, and welcome to Taking Care in Business, a podcast that I created out of my passion for using business as a force for good. It all started for me in 2016 when my company, Bolson Group, was the first in Indiana to become a B Corp certified company. I've been on a mission ever since learning from others all the different ways that we can be more impactful and making a difference for people and the planet. Whether it's a nonprofit's mission and purpose, a company that has a business model that includes a keen eye on corporate social responsibility, I'm always curious. And I want to share with others so they can grow in their knowledge and identify opportunities for change. You never know who we're going to have on to talk about how they and their organizations are taking care in business. Oh, I'm so excited about today. We're going to get to talk about a couple of my favorite things. Friends. And today's guest is a very good friend of one of my very good friends and someone whom I think would be my good friend if we spent more time together, because I have spent time with her and I think she's unbelievable. Um, my second favorite thing is chocolate, candy, um, and this person, Carrie Abbott. Uh, and I can't wait to find out if what I'm gonna say is true, but I think she found her like signature candy by accident. That's and true. now, is that true? Oh, and spoiler now- alert. Yep. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And now she has a whole shop in, at Keystone at the Crossing in, Indian, in Indianapolis. And if anybody knows Keystone at the Crossing, it's like the place you go if you want to go buy cool stuff, good stuff, high-end stuff. And so this person I've watched grow from the accidental candy maker to like boutique owner is, is confectionery. Is that a word I can say? A confectionery owner. Yeah. So anyway, I'm super jazzed. She's here. So thanks for coming, Carrie. Hi, Vicki. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you are such a kick-ass woman. Um, just from, you know, everything that you've done and really in such a short period of time. So let's go back. You just said I was right about the finding the first candy by accident. I think I must've read that on a blog or something. I don't know. But anyway, I read that somewhere. So will you um, tell everybody about how that is actually the case? Yeah, it really is the case for the candy frittle, um, fudge like frittle. It's the peanut butter confection but I was a caterer at the time. And um, this is before people did like all the dessert bars, like little um, bites of everything. Um, If you got married, you had a cake. Well, this was kind of right at the beginning of that. And I didn't want to commit yet to what kind of desserts we were going to do on this catering menu. And these are kind of like progressive hip um, young adults anyway. And we knew we were going to have something peanut butter and chocolate And so I made this peanut butter candy, dipped some in chocolate and kind of a take on Reese's, but a little bit harder. And I had a bunch left over and just decided I would give those out. And I was just like addicted to that feeling of giving someone this treat and seeing how it was received. I thought over time, let's get out of catering because we've done that for a while and then go into this packaged candy and ended up starting a candy company and have been making that candy and others for 10 years. And that's newfangled confections. That's correct. Mm -hmm. 
And so then, and I met you right around the time. Do you remember coming to my office, Mona, my first office? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember it's been like eight. I I can't Mm -hmm. remember exactly why we got together to meet, but I know I, I, well, we can talk about it. I mean, some other time, because I really, I don't know for positive, probably because somebody just thought I would like you because people are doing that all the time. Like you need to meet this person and vice versa. But I, I just, I've never forgotten it. And I remember at the time you were trying to get distribution. And I know from just, you know, being in the business that I am, that is not an easy thing to do. And suddenly I would like go to the grocery store and there you were. And then I'd be at another store and there you were. Um, How long and hard of a process was that to get into stores? And like, what was the growth pattern like for you? Well, to answer the question directly, how hard was it? I mean, I was kind of naive also. So some days it wasn't hard at all. Can you hear my dog? So I would say to answer the question, it was, it was hard. It was very hard. That's why you don't see everybody's pipe dream on all of the shelves. Um, you have to do your homework. You have to, um, the homework, you have to actually do the work. And really you do have to connect within the city, um, even outside of the type of thing that you're trying to sell. You know, I make a food. So it's like, I have to connect with other food makers, sweet makers, packaging people, people who have taken things to scale before. In your case, I think I wanted you to look at some of my PLs and see if like anything was amiss. So you don't have to be like perfect at everything, but you really do need to, um, you have to kind of dabble in a lot of different things in business. And then when you're ready to scale, just go kind of go harder in those areas that you don't really know a lot about so that you can be educated and then um, be ready to kind of grow in that way. Yeah. So you were, I know you were in Kroger because that's where I shopped. Um, admittedly, I haven't gone to a grocery store for a couple of years now. I only use Instacarts post COVID still. Um, so you were in Kroger, I know, but I mean, then didn't you get into like Target and you were in other grocery stores outside of Indiana, correct? Yeah. The goal I had with Frittle was really to take it nationwide. And um, we achieved that a few years ago when we had an opportunity through a distributor to go to Barnes and Noble and they have Barnes and Nobles. When we went to Barnes and Noble, they had, um, they have 1200 stores. So we were able to go to that nationwide. We went to, um, there's a regional grocery store called Ingalls Mm -hmm. and, um, world market QVC twice um, and then some regional pockets of places so we really did I mean I achieved that goal you know that was the goal years and years and years ago to kind of see it everywhere I just can't even imagine like how special it was like when you knew that people were going to be able to like get their little coffee drink and then get some frittle and go read their book at Barnes and Noble and yeah, it's wild. It's so, it's just so cool, which, um, 
so then that wasn't enough for you though. I mean, that wasn't a big enough goal because then like, when did you start envisioning the Keystone at the Crossing and Best Chocolate in Town? Like, when did that, like, and how did that all come about? Yeah, that's fun. I haven't actually talked about that anywhere. Um, one little article came out in a local newspaper and um, it wasn't like completely, it, like the facts were um, not completely on, but this is really the first time I've had an opportunity to talk about the best chocolate. But weeks before COVID, um, the founder of best chocolate in town, and it's that brand has been around for about 20 years, I think now. She wanted to go into a different industry and I think into nursing. And we were friends from just being in the sweet industry. And she put her business up for sale. And um, there was, we have a common friend who was helping her with that sale. And they had just a handful of people to go to. And I was on that list. And when I heard some of the details, I was like, do not call anyone else. Um, I was out of town. It's like, let me get home. Let's figure this out right away. Because what I saw as an opportunity is that here, this wonderful entrepreneur, Elizabeth Garber, who founded this chocolate brand, she had one retail space, but she would make everything for that space. And then like a handful of wholesale and a handful of corporate. What I had was no store with newfangled confections. And all day long, I want to make candy for other people to sell. So all day long, I did wholesale, no retail. So when that opportunity came along, I thought, well, now I could make like dozens of products, maybe even hundreds, and then pop them into accounts I already had. I don't mean nationwide, but locally, you know, locally, I mean, I'm not trying to compare to like Lint or anything, but locally, it's a great brand and local meaning Indiana. It's a great brand. And I tried, I worked so hard getting a name like Frittle and having to explain what it is and get the buy-in and get the repeat orders, I thought, well, I never had to explain to anyone what chocolate is. So that opportunity was huge. And the, it, the fact that it was right before uh, COVID is just, I mean, it was really like a divine intervention because if I had not bought that company, I think for at least two, two and a half years, Frittle probably would have been dead. Um, I would never give it up, um, you know, during that time, but it would have just been a dead product because I was only in these really big stores that required to be open. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That is such a cool story. So I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't understand that either. I mean, I didn't know that part of the story either. So you bought the best chocolate in town. That it was that was this Elizabeth Garber's brand. That's right. I bought, so she was selling the business. She had closed the store and then sold the business. And just side note, um, a lot of people don't know either, is regardless, I was going to make an offer just for peanut butter crunch because it's so good. And if you've never had that, I'll get you some. It's a white chocolate peanut butter um, candy. And I'm, you know, I really pride myself in the peanut butter candy world. No matter what, I wanted that brand. But, um, you know, we just worked on it. And it was just, you know, it's a great partnership. And so we, um, I was able to acquire the entire best chocolate 
brand, which means the recipes, um, the, you know, all of the um, equipment, um, even the people who work there at the time, if they were a good fit, they came over too. So, yeah. Yeah. So really nothing, the way it used to be made, nothing is different than today. Um, it's just post COVID, some of the products have been retired because we couldn't sell them. You know, they just didn't survive, but for sure there's more products because I just like innovation. Okay. Thanks for sharing that story. That is, that's really helpful to hear all that. And you're right. That story hasn't been told before. So, um, I think the Indianapolis star needs to do an updated story on you girl. Yeah. Let's, maybe, let's maybe, make that happen. No, I need to make a couple calls and get you like a USA today story or something. To be Perfect. Um, so, okay. I have so many things I want to talk to you about that. I have to rein myself in the thing that I think is that you said earlier when we were off camera, um, you said, I, you know, you have done interviews, you know, that I talked to a lot of B Corp certified companies. Um, that kind of made me feel like you didn't understand why I wanted to talk to you, like how you fit into the, um, theme of the podcast, which is, and yeah, I showed up anyway. Isn't that <laughs> you great? You showed up anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Because we do talk to people who use business as a force for good. And so I, I want to answer your question. If you've really been wondering the reason why I think you fit for this podcast isn't just because you're a female entrepreneur, which is super cool. Not just because you're an Asian female entrepreneur, which is another thing that's really um, cool. It's because whenever I do talk to you, I can see like, I way back when I first met you, I see the excitement for you. And, and at that time it was it was literally just frittle. It wasn't like everything that you've accomplished, but just this summer when I saw you, I could see in you this, this deep desire that you want everyone who you work with um, to be joy-filled. You're joy-filled and you want everybody else to be joy-filled. You really want to have like them have a great like work experience with you. You wouldn't want them working with you if you weren't providing that for them. And so to me, that is like the ultimate like, um, goal, right. To worry about people over profit. And I get that sense from mm. you. I get the sense from you that like, it would be so awesome to work for you. Um, and you, and it was in so many different things that you've, you've said over the years and things I've heard about you, of course, why does that matter so much to you? Um, people over profit, I guess. I mean, we could look at it a couple of different ways, but it's just, it, for me, it's just my faith, but it's really like, that's all we have our experiences, you know, you can't take it with you. So I'm always just thinking, um, you know, not just like legacy in my family, but legacy in the business world, what kind of impact are you making on the people who work around you, your partners who have your customers um, other businesses, you've, you know, put your brands together and most importantly, the people who work for you or work mm -hmm. around you. I intentionally, we always say team, we don't say employees. 
um, I guess I'm their boss, but they're definitely people I work with. I always, you know, I'm working with them. I don't want to lose sight of that. Uh, I work for them in the way that if they need something, tools, supplies, um, a process to change, that's my job to make sure that they have those items. And so that's really a people thing, not a profit thing. Um, probably at this point, I need to be more focused on profit, um, but that really does work itself out over time. When you have a relationship with the people that work around you, that you work around, um, they stay because of the culture that you have built. And so um, I don't pay a million dollars an hour. There are places that do. Um, you know, it's just like hypothetically there, but, <laughs> um, but there are a lot of places that people that work at Newfangled um, could have like tons more money, tons more benefits, but they've got to stand right on top of their coworkers, right next to each other on a hot kitchen line, um, you know, in a in a toxic environment, like we all basically know each other, you know, in the food industry or in the producing industry. And so relationship with the other business owners in terms of employees, um, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I, back to what I said before, basically people stay um, because of the environment that you've created and they do stay because we're working together. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Uh, I'm humbled all the time by them and by their innovation. And I want their innovation, their ideas to be heard because those are important things to me. And it took a lot of years to get to the right um, kind of core group, but I'm there now. And so it's great because we go into a busy season coming up where we um, always are looking for seasonal part-time workers. And I used to just take anyone who could tie a bow. That's what I used to do. And now it's like they have to early on um, fit the rest of the culture. And if it doesn't work, but they're great people, I'm happy to make another introduction for them. It just wouldn't work for us. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have a busy season coming up. I mean, I saw, yeah. I saw yeah. one year, I think it was an Instagram or something that you were hiring. And I even thought like, I know if my daughter, I have one left at home, if she wasn't in the musical and in show choir and trying to apply for colleges, like I would say, this is where you should go try to have a part-time job because I think it would be like amazing to work with you. Um, and she would love it because she loves going into the store when, when we are at Keystone at the Crossing. Um, what is a typical day like, especially going into the holidays? Like, I, I mean, I think that it would be interesting to hear about where you are making your, like, because you're also in all the other stores still. So like, right. ah, like what is like, like life like on a daily basis doing these two simultaneous things? Do you mean for me or for someone who works there? I think for, for you, for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like what, you know, because yeah. then that's going to touch upon all the different jobs you have yeah. and stuff. 
because you've really got two main things that you're feeding the beast right now. That's right. So, um, for me, I, um, typical day, I'll try to keep it brief. Basically the, the, as like a CEO of, um, a mini a company that manufactures candy and chocolate, my, the majority of my day is making decisions. And so if you don't like to make decisions, business ownership probably isn't for that person, but most of my day is making decisions. Now, a quarter of my day is probably at this point of the day or at this point of the year is actually making candy. So whether it's um, frittle, I still make frittle or innovation, grabbing um, maybe like an oopsie type candy. We have an oopsie, several batches of caramel that didn't go long enough. So we'll create a product for that to put in our store um, or it's, you know, back to the decisions, it's just checking in with each person and making sure that they have what they need. I don't mean like a half hour, every single person, but you definitely need to say, I'm kind of like, I kind of like sneak out when I leave, but definitely I'm the hello person. And how are you doing? How's your schedule? Do you, is everything going, you know, the way as you planned? So it's, um, it's all of it. It's purchasing, it's um, client relations, it's partner relations, people relations, making decisions, money in, money out. I mean, that's a big part of my day. Gosh, I can't, where do you, um, where are you cooking? Do you have like, is, I know that you, when you bought Best Chocolate in Town, you're doing everything? right now? No, I did not buy their kitchen. Um, oh. We have, so when I bought Best Chocolate in Town, we folded that whole business into our manufacturing facility, which is uh, currently downtown Indianapolis. And we've got around 7,000 square feet there where we're making candy, storing candy, transport, transporting. Um, but that's where we make everything. So today, just for example, the humidity was better. So we made English toffee. Um, if it's rainy and high humidity, over 50% humidity, we don't make English toffee. I mean, so these aren't just like people like la 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 making candy. We have to consider so many different things, including the environment. And so, um, but yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what a day looks like. Oh my gosh. How many people work in the kitchen at any given time? You know, around 10. I mean, it's still a small business. Um, we've got a combination of four different shifts at our store at the fashion mall. Um, so I don't know that puts us at around 14, 15 people in the holiday. We need to get re ready for a busy time without really having the revenue yet. So I could probably use about 30 people right now. But in the heat of the holiday, which is manufacturing end of October through the end of December, I, at any given time, I could probably use about 40 people, but we're, we're getting through with about 15 yeah. or so right now. Gosh, that is crazy. I have a, sometime, sometime we definitely need to get together so okay. we can, we can yeah. talk about other things, including sister-in-law. Um, who she and my brother started a um, company called Campus Classics and they sell like Greekware, you know, like sorority and fraternity, like, you know, the big letters and all that stuff. Um, 
that sorority and fraternity people wear. So they're 80, I think it's 80 or 85% of their business is during the holidays. And your comment that you just said about, we have to get ready because, but we don't have the money in the bank yet. Like that has been their thing yeah. forever is like, how do you, how do you scale to be ready for a holiday season, but you don't have the money in the bank yet? You know, I mean, the thing with small business that people forget is, you know, it's like, oh, it's candy. It's chocolate. It must be amazing all the time. Well, the actual job of making candy is really repetitive. You know I mean? It's really repetitive. It's very hot. And many things are very, very heavy. So these are like hustlers. These are like hardworking individuals. Mm. Um, and in terms of small, what I started to say is small business with the revenue. These are real facts. I, if anyone's motivated by anything, Vicki, you and I are talking about right now, and they want to take the next step for their business, which I think is something you're interested in too for them, mm-hmm. is um, we want to open their eyes to what they're getting into but it's that just because like the thing that you're making or selling, even a service is really exciting. Um, it is just balancing that um, accounting sheet. It's just, it's just having enough money for labor and materials, ingredients for something that you haven't um, brought in yet. I think over like 10, 20 years, you know, five, 10, 20 years, that kind of evens out. You learn how to plan but we're just, we're still a small business. And so we're still, um, you know, trying to make those frugal decisions, but very generous decisions as well um, when the money comes in during holiday. Wow. Well, you have, I just, congratulations for like what you've done and built and what I think is a short amount of time. Um, I just, I just think you're amazing. Your candy's amazing. Um, so I, what, what, you know, we have to wrap it up and at the end, I want you to tell everybody how they can like order online and all that kind of good stuff. But before we go, can you give some advice to someone, say mm. someone is listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like she did it. I want, you know, I, I wish I were brave enough. What advice would you give them? Um, well, the the spiritual or mental advice is for sure do it when you think you have capacity when you have mental capacity to make a few mistakes and to um you know have some grace on yourself and then just kind of keep plugging away um the financial advice to when is the time to do it like what can i do how can i do it i wholeheartedly implore you stay at your day job as long as possible, go hard at your hobby. And then when the hobby becomes more important and then you can turn it as a livelihood and then your day job, you can kind of wean off slowly. That is really the way to do it. Basically always work a job and a half, do the one that brings in money. Then you can spend a little in your hobby. And until you can flip that as your full-time job, Um, I think that's really, really key. I'm never going to say like, give it all up and go out there and get your own person. You can make it work, but you will always be chasing payroll. You will always be what um, someone, an organization one time helped me understand. 
an extreme hobbyist. That is okay when you have lots of other income in the house and you really just like, you just kind of want to stay chill, but maybe famous. Maybe you want to be famous, but like you don't really need the money. There it is. But if you are really trying to make like a really big impact, a la um, labor of love, um, other jobs for other people in diversity, then I would say really do that job and a half until you can flip it. And then, um, and then yeah. you can really have something beautiful. That's great advice, Carrie. I particularly like the spiritual advice. Haven't oh. had that one before. So that was, that was good. Okay. I, before we wrap it up, I have to just say one thing that I could have started this whole podcast with and that <laughs> is, what do you think about the phrase life is like a box of chocolates <laughs> I've never been asked that um what do I think about it well I don't think about my work at all I only think of forest so <laughs> that's funny well it's funny because I mean, I, you know, I, I totally get what it's saying that you never know what life is going to bring you, um, which I think is like, I don't have like a phrase I live by or anything, but I definitely feel like my life has been like a box of chocolates and it kind of seems like your life has been like a box of chocolates. Like you never okay. know what's going to happen, right? Well, that's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> But now that you mention it, I want to know like what size is the box? What's the minimum? <laughs> what's the lead time? Does it have a tray? Is there a foam pad? How are we sealing that? What are the labels? I mean, I got so many questions to ask about this box of chocolates. That is, of course, a perfect response coming yeah. from the entrepreneur that you have become because you wouldn't be so successful if that isn't the way you were looking at it, right? Yeah. I love that. That is that is so funny. All right. So tell our listeners how they can get some frittle and just all the ways they can learn about you and, and your various businesses. Oh, that's sweet. Um, I would say the best way to um, you know, just get part of this best chocolate in town and frittle experience would be to um, definitely buy from one of our partners where um, that already carry our products for sure. You can always like just drop us a little text or email. We can let you know, but also um, our store. So it is a pop-up store, but it's currently in the fashion mall. Um, across from the Apple store in Indianapolis. And, um, and definitely you can just walk in and get some fresh chocolate, get gifts. But something that we're really kind of going big on right now are the corporate gifts, which people hear that and they think like, well, I don't have thousands. All I mean is multiple chocolate gifts for um, your group. So it could be five people in your business. It could be 4,000 in your business, but it's any kind of gift you want to give them from just a few dollars to a big basket. And, um, and you send us a list and we make it and it's all over and it's great. And here you actually look like the hero. You're like the treat hero because you've <laughs> given this local business um, in really delicious, um, 
gift. You've given these really delicious treats to people that you care about, whether it's your team or your customers. And it really says a lot about um, where you are putting your dollars also. Well, we are going to put our, excuse me, our dollars in Friddle for our clients this year. So you will be getting a list from me um, of whom we want to send uh, treats to. That's right. Cause we'll ship too. Yeah. 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 And some of them will definitely have to be shipped. So, so, and believe it or not, we're thinking about that already. And by the time this episode airs, probably most of you who are listening are also deep in the throes of what are you going to do about Christmas for, for um, all your various people, your stakeholders, family, friends, um, stocking stuffers, all that kind of stuff. So um, I just thank you for coming on here today, Carrie, and sharing a little bit about your story. Oh, thank you, Vicki. Thank you. I think people will be really inspired by you um, to, uh, you know, a a woman with a dream who's made it happen. So congrats to you and we will be talking soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you for joining us today on Taking Care in Business. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or download Taking Care in Business wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can always follow along with us by subscribing at takingcareinbusiness.com. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Taking Care and Biz. That's Taking Care and Biz, B-I-Z. If you have questions or comments, you can also email us at info at We'd love to hear from you and thank you for joining us today. And until next time, take care in business.